Well, hey, good morning, Midtown. If you could find your seat. We're still working on our, uh, our Sunday rhythms. It's, I know it's difficult, but just remember the video is kind of the, the cue to uh, rally back in and wind the conversations down. My name's Jamie. I have the privilege of serving as a pastor here at Midtown Church. If you're visiting us for the first time today or first couple times, welcome. Certainly great to see you. Let me pray for us. And we've got a few kind of different things happening this morning. Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you that you are good. Part of your goodness is seen in giving us your word. And so we praise you for that. We thank you that it's trustworthy. We thank you that it has authority over us. And so as as we can today in the power of your spirit, Lord, uh, show us more of you through your word, that we'd be conformed to it, that we would be ever growing into the image and likeness of Jesus. So that end we will labor and ask for your help. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This is the eighth Sunday, I believe, unless I am um, mistaken in that, which is highly possible, but I believe it's our eighth merged Sunday. So for those of you that don't know what that means, August 23rd uh, was the first corporate gathering of what was Hill Country Central and what I'm going to call Midtown 1.0 and and coming together to form a a new church, a new local body in this part of the city. Uh, Doing that for several reasons, but preeminently because uh, we felt like that would bring more glory to God as we labor together with Christ to to share and show the love of Christ to this part part of the city, I want to take a moment, I got to spend some time with the setup team this morning, I want to take a moment here corporately to thank you. Uh, so much has gone marvelously well, and in fact, the, the, the reality that we're even sitting in chairs with, with sound that works, and people watching our kiddos, and, and, and lights that are on, and, and wonderful musicians, it's only a testimony to God's grace in giving us wonderful, wonderful people who are really serving their guts out. And so from people washing dishes to setting up chairs to tearing it all down, we're done in children's ministry. Theoretically, you're with our kids, so you can't hear me, but y'all too, uh, we love you. We thank you. And if we could, just by uh, kind of praising God for them, can we celebrate them publicly right now as kind of a shout of praise to the Lord? Yeah, so I know that the uh, hours have been kind of long, and sometimes it's chaotic here at the beginning, but know that you're loved, know that you're appreciated. Uh, also along those eight weeks, we have been walking through the, the letter of First Peter, uh, that series being titled Standing in Grace. We get that from First Peter chapter 5, where he exhorts us to stand firm in the grace of God. That standing being a, an action, right, a continual posture, meaning that that in the power of the Spirit, by the grace of God, that moment by moment by moment, we are, we are practically, tangibly affected by God's grace towards us and God's grace as it hopefully is working in and through us. And so Peter is walking us through, as we go verse by verse through this book, what does it look like to actually stand in the grace of God as what he calls us strangers and exiles? A term meaning this, actually living somewhere different than where we're meant to be, than where we're destined to be. Okay, so we live as citizens here knowing that ultimately our citizenship is with God. Uh, 
and the new heavens and new earth. And that day is coming. So whether we go to be with him through our passing or through uh, the return of Jesus, like, like that's ultimately where we're headed. That's what we're bound for. Right, This place where all things are made new, where there is no more sin, no more suffering, no more trials, Right, where, where God is continually with us in the tangible sense of we are living and reigning with Jesus. Okay, but until that day, Peter is writing us saying, stand, I exhort you, stand firm in the grace of God. Now, last week, our lead pastor, uh, Jake, finished this current section in chapter 2 through verse 12 with, with leading us into living amongst what Peter will call our outsiders. Okay, we'll just use the term, those who are not following Jesus, and our lives are surrounded by individuals that have not yet called upon the name of Christ, that have not yet repented and believed in the gospel. Okay, so in those moments, in those interactions with that crowd, Peter has some really practical, tangible things to tell us. Uh, Most practically is going to be our continual remembrance of the grace God showed us. So we can only live as grace-filled people amongst those that do not call upon the name of Jesus as we first remember that Christ poured out His grace to us freely and fully. That we did nothing to earn it. To, it's not a reward given to us by our conduct. We didn't think our way there, study our way there, good deed our way there. And it's that continual posture of remembering that were it not for God's unbelievable uh, grace poured out towards me when I did not deserve it, right? then I don't actually have the motivation to then pour that grace and love out towards others. In fact, that's, that's the, the main operating principle as we press pause on First Peter and we step into this little mini-series within the series called Love Where You Live. Love Where You Live is a campaign, actually a unified campaign across some 300 churches in Austin. And it's churches centering around this idea, and we'll unpack this more in a minute, but it's centering on the idea that what if we take the idea of loving our neighbor and knowing that theologically it means more than this, but doesn't mean less than this, that we take that idea and we actually love those tangibly, practically, of those who, as those who have first been loved with those that actually live by us. The conservative estimates is uh, if the believers, professing believers in these 300 churches uh, would take kind of this risky, courageous step of faith and just try it, then the conservative estimate is half a million people in Austin that don't yet know Jesus would be tangibly loved and impacted by someone who does know Jesus. The more liberal estimates is that a million people that have not yet called upon the name of Christ would come into practical, loving, tangible contact with someone that does profess the name of Christ. And in a city of 1.8 million people, that is a significant, significant number. So today, we're going to look at kind of the first in this series of loving our neighbor and what did Jesus have to say about it. So if you would, meet me in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, 
verse 25. It'll be on the screen. We've got hard copies of God's Word in the lobby. Those are free for you if you don't have a copy of the Scripture. Or if you have a smartphone or whatever, you can pull it up on that app. I'm going to ask you to please stand together as we read the Word of God. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 29. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered him, We shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. And he said to him, That's Christ responding, You've answered correctly. Do this. And you will live, meaning have eternal life. Verse 29, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Luke chapter 10, 25 through 29, the very words of God. You may have a seat. It's interesting that up to this point, Christ has been teaching. Christ has been Uh, displaying his power through working miracles. And so the people are starting to catch on. Right, there's something about this guy. In fact, as you're reading through the Gospels, if you're with us on our church-wide reading plan, we're doing a New Testament chronological reading this year. You'll notice that the people say something about Jesus. They say, well, he teaches as if one had authority. They'll start to say, well, now, who is this guy? Isn't this the guy from Nazareth? How can he be doing All of these things that they recognize that there's something about him that doesn't quite add up. And so, seeking to, a lot of times, and we don't know the specific uh, lawyer's motivation here, but a lot of times, Christ is approached by religious leaders of the day, and they're trying to discredit Jesus. So you can imagine, he's teaching publicly a lot of times at the synagogue, he'll be teaching from what we know as the Old Testament, and someone will stand up and ask a question. The goal is to trip them up. That make them look stupid. If we can discredit him, then we can discredit the miracles, and we can discredit his followers. The religious leaders are noticing over and over and over again, hey, this guy is getting a following. And so here we have a lawyer that would be an expert in God's law, the Old Testament. At this point, the rabbis, the Pharisees, had identified some 613 commandments. So an expert in the law would have most likely been someone that knew 613 commandments inside and out. Now imagine that. We struggle to rehearse rehearse the 10 from Exodus, right? That, That 613... So coming to Jesus, he's questioning him on what he holds to be an expert on. So asking Jesus a question that would have been common in the day. Everyone desires eternal life. So what do I have to do to get eternal life? Christ and his genius turns it back on him and says this. Well, okay, well, what do you think? How do you think you have eternal life? And here's his response from Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. He says, well... Jesus, this is what I read, this is what I think to be true, that i got to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, awesome. Absolutely. Do that, and you're in. So for every moment of your life, at every single second, perfectly love God with everything that you are, and 
perfectly loved people at every moment, at every second, in thought, word, deed, for the entirety of your life. Do all of those things perfectly without one slip up and you're in. Now for most of us, that that should catapult us to standing before Jesus and saying, I can't do that. So take eternal life off the table for me. Complete impossibility. And that would kind of be the point in this. You say, yes, correct. You can't do it yourself. I'm here to do it for you. You'll get my righteousness. I'll die in your place so that you're made alive to God if you repent and call upon my name. So you're actually credited with doing all of these things perfectly. But notice the response of the lawyer. Look at it. Verse 29. But he desiring, now look at this, not to be justified by Jesus... Not desiring to be proclaimed righteous by Jesus. Not desiring to proclaim faith and trust in the name of Christ. Look at it. Seeking to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right, it, you know, he doesn't ask a question about the first one. Oh, love God perfectly at every moment, at all times. I've got that covered. But Jesus, who's my neighbor? I mean, Really? I do a good job loving the people that I need to love. Who is my neighbor? That's the key question, isn't it? Especially if we're in a series. And in a series talking about loving our neighbor. Uh, Tim Hawks at Hill Country Austin introduced a term to me this week I thought was really helpful. Uh, And that is coming to the scriptures with a bent towards loophole thinking. Okay, so we know what loopholes are. Or maybe you, you give your word to something and, and yet you kind of leave that out in there. And you know what I'm talking about. Don't be self-righteous and act like you don't. Or you know, like, okay, I've given myself some wiggle room. So I might have said this, but here's a loophole. I can get out of it. Well, it's a loophole thinking of coming to the scripture and going, yeah, but there's always a way that this doesn't actually apply to me which is going to be really easy to do in this series. Right, so a lot of us have a, a really thriving, evangelistic, loving ministries going at our workplace. That's incredible. Keep going. A lot of us have thriving, evangelistic, loving ministries going on campus. That's great. We're going to celebrate that. Keep it going. Some of us with our family, some of us with friends that we just know in Austin. And, and And at no point in this series over the next three weeks that we're saying, love your neighbor, are we saying that that doesn't count? It does. In fact, theologically, just the idea of neighbor extends well beyond the people that just live by us. We understand that. Don't use that. So now I've taken it away as a loophole. Don't use that as an excuse. Not to try. To just try. And I'm going to define trying for us in a moment. And you're going to see it's going to be a really, really low bar to start off. Which, for me, is really helpful. Right? I appreciate it when it starts there because it seems more doable for me. Some of you are overachievers and you'll jump over that in like 12 hours. Not me. So be gracious. So what does it look like to love our neighbor? Well, The guy's asking the question, who is my neighbor? Because during this time, there are about three prominent thoughts, especially in Jewish thought, as to what or who a neighbor was. 
And so the first one is that a neighbor was someone who was actually neighborly. Okay, so if they're easy to love and they make my life easier, they count as a neighbor and I'll love that person. Because that was a school of thought, right? These are not the people that walk by your house with a dog on the leash, right? And just let the dog do its thing and then keep on walking. That's not these people. During this day, and look, I'm guilty. I will stand by the window when a dog walks by, and I'm, I'm just waiting for you to walk off. I am waiting, and then I'm going to walk out the door and say, did you forget something? Did you see what your dog did right there? Okay, that's not these people. So the first thought was, well, yeah, if you're easy to love, I'll love you. That's what it means to be a neighbor. So sure, God, I'll love my neighbor. Second thought would have been, a neighbor is actually any Israelite. So a neighbor is someone who belongs here. Okay, so you belong in the land, you belong in my neighborhood, you belong on my street, you belong in my dorm room. And if I think that you belong, right, if I'm okay with you being here, then you're a neighbor, sure, I'll love you. I'll love you. Third thought would have been this, well, a neighbor is actually a true Israelite. Now we really get into the elitist company. Okay, so if you keep God's commandments as well as I do, read the scriptures as well as I do, pray as well as I do, look as good as I do. Sure, you're you're a real Israelite. God really loves you. God really loves me. So forget everybody else. I'll love you as my neighbor. You can see, even in the first century, all of this loophole thinking. Well, gang, the reality is, the terms for neighbor... They're really broad. They're really broad. So, so Hebrew would be one who crosses my path. Greek would be someone who is nearby. You know what God's talking about here? He's talking about people. He's talking about people. He's saying you love God and you love people. And in doing that, the entirety of the Old Testament law is fulfilled. Which is Jesus teaching to us in Matthew 5 that, hey, if you want to know how to keep all of these commandments, if you want to know what the heart of God was and even giving all these things, it was to drive you to the point of crying out to God and say, God, help me. I can't do it. I cannot love you perfectly. I cannot love people perfectly. Steps in Jesus, reconciles us to God and through his spirit then empowers us towards that direction. That is what the scripture is trying to push us to more and more and more. And so the guy says, yeah, well, who is my neighbor? Because I define it any way that I want to. So technically I'm already doing this, Jesus. And Jesus is going to radically change this guy's opinion. Now remember, a neighbor would be anyone who's neighborly, so I like them. Or a neighbor would be anyone who belongs here, so I deem them acceptable. Or a neighbor would have been anyone that is as religious and acceptable to God as me. And then Christ goes on to tell a story. He tells what a lot of us know. Some of us uh, may not if we're new to the scriptures. Uh, the story of what's called a good Samaritan. Now, even if you're not familiar with the story, you're familiar with the concept and culture at large. It's kind of synonymous with a really nice person. Right, which doesn't do the biblical story, the depth of, of justice. But, but watch what Jesus does. In a Jewish context, he tells the story where a Samaritan is a hero. 
Now, Samaritans, that people group, they're a result of when the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity by Assyria. They left some people in place, and the Assyrian kingdom kingdom wanted to, and and excuse the, 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 the reality of it, to populate the Jewish people out. So they cross-married, creating this kind of new people group called Samaritans. Well, the Jews that remained in the land that either one didn't cross-marry or were in the southern kingdom that had not been exiled viewed those Jewish people as complete sellouts, traitors, right? The worst of the worst. In fact, they were, they were racial mutts. They hated them, hated them. So here we have... Don't miss the tension, an expert in the Old Testament law, a revered Jewish religious leader questioning this new rabbi on what does it mean to love my neighbor, and Jesus answering by making the most hated possible person the hero. Now imagine the loopholes that have to get canceled out at the end of that story. So Christ tells it. There's a man, uh, or I think to presume a Jewish man, uh, uh, beaten almost to death, laying in a ditch. A priest walks by, does nothing. A Levite walks by, does nothing. A Samaritan walks by, picks him up, cleans him, takes his clothes off, clothes him, puts him on his donkey, walks him to, a, to an inn, uh, pays for him to be given food and medical attention till this man is restored to full strength and full health. And at the end of the story, Jesus asks this lawyer, now who was the neighbor? And if you keep reading, you'll notice he can't even say the word Samaritan. He essentially says, well, the one who helped him. Hey guys, Scripture does not permit us to come to it on our own terms with our own loophole thinking. Okay, now I'm not here, I'm not the Holy Spirit to tell you the exact ways God's called you to minister in every time and in every way. That is not my role. Here's what I know. Is that Scripture inseparably connects God's love for us, our love for God, with the tangible expression of loving people. I know that. So we can unequivocally assume that upon ourselves at all time, that because of what Christ did for me, I flesh that out in my love for God, which is, which is played out in obedience, and my love for people, which is, which is played out in us manifesting this same undeserved love to others. Okay, so any of these loopholes that creep into my mind, well, man, I don't want to, man, my doormate plays music so loud and it's so annoying. Okay, it's not a loophole. Man, like, and I'm not kidding, this is a real example. That same woman lets that same dog that would, that would lose a battle to a rat go to the restroom in my yard every day. And that is not a loophole. I'll go a step further. I was wanting to tell you how, how deep the shame runs for me. We were walking in my neighborhood yesterday. And we were walking back home. And we saw a neighbor from afar. And we love her. And she loves to talk. <laughs> I told Shannon, I said, I don't want to walk that way. I don't want to talk to her. 
I said it. Meant every word of it. I mean, I wanted to detour. You know why? I did my duty for the day. I'd already talked to a neighbor. Isn't that enough? I saw one on the street earlier. Check that off the box. Well, guess what that exposed? Loophole thinking. Everyone who crosses my path should come into contact with grace and love manifested through me because of the grace and love that was given to me. So here's what we're asking you to do. You plus all the Christians represented in over 300 churches across Austin is for the next three weeks, just start praying. That's just, that's it. Just start praying if God would have you do something relationally towards your neighbors. We're just going to start there. Just ask Him. You know, a prayer like, God, do you want me to love these people? It's probably going to come back yes, so be careful praying it. God, do you want me to do something intentional, relationally with these people? Probably going to come back yes, so be careful praying it. Now, an exercise, we're going to get real practical here, an exercise that every church that I know of doing this is doing, so you're not getting singled out, all right? We've got to do it too, comes in the form of this grid. Everybody got it on their seat? Grab one. Now, some of you are already probably thinking, I'm not doing that. You're a loophole thinker. Grab one, <laughs> all right? There are nine, eight spaces on there. I just watched... Uh, Tim Hawks, Hill Country Austin, do this with his church, and it was pretty funny. Uh, here's the challenge this morning. Now, overachievers, don't stand up and announce to all of us that can't do it that you did do it, all right? Can you fill in, as best as possible, a neighbor's first name? So students, orient it toward yourselves. Think of your, like, dorm floor. Uh, can you name... Eight people, your roommates, uh, maybe can count if you need them to. Can you name eight people that live in really direct uh, uh, proximity to you? Right, so go for it. Hey, and if you can't get any, just know that you're in the majority of people. Right, so there's no shame in that. Right, we just want you to try. Think, go ahead, start now. Try and name as many first name neighbors that live by you. And as you're brainstorming and thinking, and sometimes if you're like me, I just know like a first initial, so I'll just put the first initial down and go back to that. I really probably need to learn that person's name. But I know it starts with this. The reason why we're doing this is because here's the assignment this week. If you don't know the names, get to know them. That's our assignment. If you can't name eight, try by next Sunday just to name eight. Which means, and I love what John Burke at Gateway Church says, sometimes you have to walk and not just wave. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hey, buddy. What's up, governor? How you doing, boss? Right, that we walk. We actually shake hands and, and, and do kind of the awkwardness thing. Look, I know I've lived here for five years, and I know we've been saying hey in the driveway for five years. I've never even introduced myself. I'm sorry. My name is Jamie. 
to try to name them. And then here's all we're going to do. All we're going to do. Pray and ask God. Show us a way to love them. That's the goal. That we would love a testimony of an entire city to say, yes, I know a Christian. And they loved me. They loved me. Okay, so how do we tangibly flesh out that love? I, being an anti-acronym person, I'm going to give you an acronym. Right? And it's just called BLESS. BLESS. And I'm a loophole thinker when it comes to acronyms, but I found this helpful. B. B means begin praying. L, what we're doing right now, we're going to learn names. We're going to learn names. E, we're going to eat a meal together. So there's a big step at some point. We're just going to share a meal. S, we're going to share stories. So we're going to learn about them because we're actually interested in being friends. They're not a project, right? Our neighbors are not projects. They're relationships to befriend and love. And then S, we're going to serve. Try and notice a tangible need that you can meet. Mow the grass. Help with a meal, whatever it is. So begin praying, learn names, eat a meal, share stories, serve. Serve. So hey, Midtown, I just want you to know, your pastors are in this with you. We're learning the names. We're walking the road. When you share that, man, it was really awkward when I knocked on their door. I'm going to say, yep, absolutely. Been there. Been there. And we're going to see what would happen. What would happen if we joined with these 300 other churches and began to bless and love our actual physical neighbors? Pray with me. Father, I do thank you for this morning. Thank you that, for most of us, depending on our living situation, we have neighbors And as Acts 17 says, God, you have appointed the times and places where we will be and where we'll live. So God, we come to you knowing there has to be a purpose for which we're surrounded by the people we're surrounded by. God, we know one of those those purposes is to show the grace and love you've first given us by living it out towards them. Not in our own definition, not by defining neighbor as those that are neighborly, not by defining uh, neighbors as those who we think belong there or those who we think that are, are good enough for our love, but patterning it in the way that you loved us. God, which was in fullest measure, without qualification. God, we did not have to earn your love. Shame on us for making others earn ours. And we didn't have to earn your time. God, and shame on me for yesterday believing that someone wasn't worth my time when you've given yours in fullest measure. I repent of that. God, you're so good to us. God, I pray this week in the power of your spirit. I know it can be scary, Lord, so we need your help. Help us to learn names, to shake hands, to offer smiles. To give just a tangible touch and manifestation of the love of Christ to those who live in and near us that in solidarity with other 
300 churches in this city that this city would taste Jesus in a tangible, practical way. We pray and ask this in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. Midtown, each week we take communion. A communion is an act of remembrance. And it's the act of of remembering Christ's body broken for us and His blood spelled out for us. It's a powerful time to, to reflect, to praise God for the love given to us in Jesus. And maybe that's a reminder you need this morning. That maybe even in your walk with God, you have forgotten or haven't reflected upon just how much He loves you. And I'm here to tell you, He loves you right now as much as He possibly ever can or will. He does not love some future version of yourself more. So we come to the table today, and as you drink the juice and as you take the bread, remember the wonderful love of God poured out on your behalf. If you're here today and you don't know Christ... We would ask that this would be a time of observation for you. That if you have not yet embraced the the reality of Jesus, His perfect life, His death on our behalf, His literal physical resurrection from the grave, that we too can walk in newness of life if we call upon Him in faith and repentance. If you're still thinking through that, we ask that you would abstain and observe us coming to the table And doing as Christ says, as often as we will, remember the great love he poured out for us. Let me pray for communion logistically. If you would come down the center aisle and you'd return to your seats. Uh, On the side, we have a station in the back. We have a station up here. Uh, Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that in Exodus chapter 12, you, you showed us this idea of a Passover lamb, that when we're covered in the blood of that lamb, your wrath passes over us. So we thank you for that shadow of the Old Testament that we see in its full manifestation and full substance in Jesus on the cross. For he is our Passover lamb and there would never need to be another lamb after him. So God, in the fullness and completeness of that work, we come to the table. And we take this juice representing his blood and this bread representing his body and we proclaim and praise you and thank you that we are covered in the blood of the lamb. We do not have to fear you, God. For in the blood of Christ, you say any can come, all are welcome. So in the wonderful name of Christ, I pray. Midtown.